Hey everybody and welcome to the Darkcast. This is DCI number 64 and I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I get to talk with Samuel Jensen, who is the co-founder of Epiphany Games, the studio behind Majestic Knights, which is a, uh, a top-down adventure thriller stealth game that uh, seeks to combine conspiracy theory and the 1980s and does it in a really interesting way. Uh, anyway, we talk about conspiracies, we talk about the game, we talk about the, the studio, we talk about everything relevant and irrelevant uh, to the to the topic, and we had a great time doing it. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to find out more information about Majestic Knights, then check out the show notes in this page. You can find links to their Steam page, Facebook, websites, all that kind of good stuff, and also the teaser trailer that's out. Also, if you'd like to find out more information about Darkstation, you can do that at darkstation.com. That's where you can find all of the stuff in the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter to see when other interviews like this go up. You can also subscribe to the Darkcast. We're on iTunes. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can do that at podcast at darkstation.com. Now, thank you for listening, and on with the show. you a second time because this time we're recording how are you doing i'm doing pretty good we're getting into kind of summer here so it's it's getting warm and toasty we're busy as hell of course because release is steadily approaching but um yeah it's uh yeah feeling pretty good awesome good to hear good to hear so how um how many sleepless nights are you getting right now as you kind of ramp up to the the Uh, launch of the game the above yeah, there are. It's, it's a, it's it's a lot of fourteen-hour days at the moment. So, Man, uh, 14, that's. Hours. I can't even do math that well, and I, I know that sounds like a lot. So that's that's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, it's, I mean, that's uh, that's the game industry. It's just everyone has has to do crunch. Just just the nature of the beast. Sure, sure. Well, uh, before we kind of get started and talking about Majestic Knights, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do at uh, Epiphany Games? Sure. Um, I'm the lead designer at Epiphany Games. Um, I helped start the company with Morgan and some other guys several years ago. Uh, actually, well, a while ago now. <laughs> um, where So I do the design. I do a lot of the narrative writing. Uh, we got an, a, a co-writer on for Majestic Knights as well. But I do, um, for all our other games, I do all the writing, uh, narrative and story, and come with the characters. Uh, my background um, academically is um, I, I did an honours thesis on um, literary theory and how, how it applies to games. Mm. Um, so I've got a bit of, a, 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 a bit of an academic background in, in, in games. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, and have been a lead designer here for, for a few years now. Um, yeah, that's 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 pretty much the uh, the kind of background that I have with Epiphany. Awesome. Now, if you don't mind me asking, can you talk a little bit uh, just about that uh, thesis, the literary uh, kind yeah, of impact sure. and analysis of games? Because that that's something that definitely interests me. Um, yeah. So basically, what what I was I was really speaking more about um, 
literary theory itself and how uh, that you know the kind of things that you talk. Hang on a sec. We've got guys moving through the boardroom. Um, the the kind of things that you taught um, in in uni about about literary theory, like things like the death of the author, uh, you know, the, the essay written by uh, Barthes, uh, don't really apply to emergent media like games, particularly online games, um, because the you know where where a, you know a novel, you know the the, uh, the reader. Um, sort of becomes the uh, the author, um, according to to Bartes. With an online game, you're the author, you're the audience, you're the reader, you're everything all at once. You're both consuming content and creating content at the same time. Um, and there's no other uh, medium that's remotely like that. Um, almost all other media are, are, are passive. You 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 passively consume uh, uh, the media bit with games. And, and in particular with, with um, MMOs, um, you're not just consuming the content that the developers make for you, you're also making content of your own for you, uh, yourself to consume and for other people to consume as well. Um, so in, in that sense, um, the other uh, theories that we're taught uh, at uni don't really apply. Um, so I was tr trying to identify the gaps um, in, in the theories as, as it applies to uh, the emergent media that is games and specifically online games. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I tried to get there. I, I, was, I was happy with the essay, but I, mm -hmm. I, I think I, I had a stronger idea at the start of the year when I, when I began writing than I did by the end of the year. It kind of got diluted by the end of the year. Mm. Um, and I'd like to go back and give it another crack at some point um, in the future. Did it ever get published anywhere, or was it just for? Uh, the... No, I, I, it was. Yeah, it was just purely for uh, uh, for school. So gotcha. I, I didn't. I didn't submit it to be uh, to be published anywhere. Um, the intention at that time was to to turn that into a PhD thesis mm -hmm. and fill in the kind of gaps I was trying to identify with theory of my own. Uh, but at the same time, Epiphany kind of was starting to take off, and I had a choice: either do a PhD or make games. And you know, it's not really a choice. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Those those are both, you know, two full time jobs that you. Yeah. Absolutely. So that that would be like four full time jobs that you're trying to balance <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing both. Yeah. Uh, so so how does kind of um that that idea of you know coming into to video games looking at something like Majestic Knights, which is a very story based game, how does that kind of affect the way that you approach? writing it because I feel like one of the, the common things and I, I guess it's starting to become less common but for for a couple of years there it was uh, very popular to sign on you know some Hollywood writer and say hey we've got this novelist or this screenwriter coming in to, to write our video game script and it's going to be awesome because this guy doesn't know anything about video games um, <laughs> how, how, how has kind of that stance uh, affected the way that you're written about uh, a game like Majestic Knights well, you know, for uh, for us, one of the things, like, uh, as part of our kind of business plan as as a company going forward, is the games that we uh, that we're making now. Every, like, our, our aim is eventually to make an MMO. That's that's what we initially set out to make. Being naive idiots, um, that's what we wanted to make first up. <laughs> so, <laughs> seriously, idiots. But um, you know, given that we do, a don't have you know thirty million dollars at least. And be you know MMOs you may have heard a a kind of large and feature heavy. 
um, where with each successive game we're, we're trying to build a, a feature or two that will will then fold into the MMO development and kind of form Voltron, I guess. Okay. Um, and with Majestic Knights, what, what we wanted to do was learn how to put narrative into a game. Um, and so it's been it's been very much a kind of trial and error process to, to work out how to do it. So uh, myself and Dan, Morgan came up with the idea for Majestic Knights and then um, he wrote a little bit of story and then... Um, in pre-production, myself and, and, and Dan McMahon, the, the other writer, um, who was a writer on L.A. Noire, by the way, oh. um, he, uh, we, we both each sat down and wrote uh, some conventional short stories, uh, around 10,000 words each, uh, for a, a couple of chapters, just to kind of get um, a, like a, a, a feel for the world and ha- have it be presented in a way that, you know, there's a conventional way for people to kind of understand the story, which is just, you know, beating middle end. That's a, that's a short story. Mm-hmm. Then we rendered those short stories um, into basically like a, like a film script. Uh, Morgan sat down and came up with a, with a bit of a, uh, a script template, um, which then both myself and Dan refined a bit further. And we put our, our short stories into this script f- format. Um, that was then going to be then rendered into game scripts, um, in, into kind of dialogue uh, uh, parcels to be put into into the game. And as as we've done that, that that kind of template's undergone um, a few changes as we've gone, and the way that we put dialogue into the game has evolved from from the first kind of iteration of that template. So we we didn't have the like the fullest idea of how we were going to do it. So we kind of iterated our process and. And you know, f- from going from short story to basically a film script, evolving that as as the game got built into um, its own thing. And now, at the moment, I'm kind of writing dialogue directly into the game because uh, it, it just it just makes more sense for me. And then I go and document it afterwards. Um, so it, it, the the writing process for uh, for a game, I feel, in in many ways, is is the same. I mean, writing is writing in a lot of ways. You just got to put words onto the page more words on the page, more words, and then you edit, 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 and then you put more words again, and then you edit those. Mm-hmm. And the way, uh, the way that it differs for, uh, for games is really more in, in, the, in the way that, um, you know, the players get to interact with, with, your, with your characters. So you have to kind of provide that, that kind of branching dialogue. So, you, you know, every, every bit of, well, every interaction is a, is a kind of, uh, this, this is going to sound a bit a, a bit wankish, but like a bit of a multiverse, um, you know, where you have, you know, it's not just a single dialogue; it's eight dialogues that are folded into one, um, mm-hmm. and that's 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 a significant area uh, where games differ. That I don't think a, like a film writer or or, or novelist uh, would be able to just apply their skills directly. You, you you kind of have to have an understanding of games and, and how they work, how they play. Um, in order to kind of write that, um, so where where they had that trend of having big name writers come in, which helps lend an air of legitimacy to to the narrative, which you know is great for games because you know games are still not viewed um, by a lot of people as you know a, a, an artistic medium, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. But you know having having that big name come in uh, adds that air of legitimacy, but it it certainly doesn't mean that that person has has the skills and knowledge 
required to to write like to fully write the game. And I imagine that they didn't. They would have written a short story, and then a bunch of game writers would have rendered that into in, in, into the game narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess the the thing that always kind of irks me a little bit about that is that yeah, say say you announce you've got this great writer on the project, and somebody this is somebody's first game, and they're going, oh, well, this is going to have just the most fantastic story ever in it. Yeah, and then it doesn't, and so that probably colored that person's view of, of video games but that's yeah, kind of absolutely. not necessarily re- relevant to our conversation today well yeah I mean, I mean you know that like you don't need a big name writer to, to have, have a good narrative I mean you look at a game like like Planescape uh, for example Tomic Planescape um, is still you know as, as, as far as I'm concerned probably the well arguably the uh, best written game I've, I've ever played mm. um, and it's, it doesn't make for a, a conventional narrative in any way and what, what, part of what makes that such a well written game is not just in, in, a, in terms of, of the story um, but in the terms of, of the way that uh, the interactions that happen around you or the interactions that happen between your, your party members your AI party members themselves that really serve to fill uh, uh, the story a, a significant amount, um, and also, also, you know, the the you know incredibly deep understanding of games that the writers of that of, of that game had, where where the narrative of of, of that story is is um, really subversive about about games themselves. You know, the, like the core mechanic in the game that's you know it's written as a narrative where when when you die, you just re- you, you just respawn back uh, back at the mortuary. Um, it's really uh, like like a subversion of, of the saving and loading mechanic in in games themselves as a narrative device. You know, if you don't have a, have a deep understanding of games, you can't write that in, into your story um, as as well as they did. Um, and that's that's one of the things that made that such a well written game was it, it wasn't just a, just a uh, just a story. It was also talking about games themselves. Um, it was yeah, it was it was a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the games that uh, a lot of people consider to be uh, one of the best stories. It's the only one that I feel like is very consistently brought up uh, as kind of a, a contender. Uh, yeah, a lot yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very good reason for that. So speaking of stories, uh, let's see. Did you start with the redacted tape on the paper when you were writing Majestic Knights, or did that come later? <laughs> um, it, it, uh, uh, the redacted stuff um, really does uh, kind of help us out in a lot of ways. It means that we can, you know, have have documents in the game where we can just put in a couple of words and then just put a bunch of black lines. It's a, it's a really <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Nobody just... redacts the or a, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> we we'll just redact that page <laughs> and just and and just leave it up to uh, the players to, to to imagine what's written on there. So. Yeah, I, I I love the redactor tape. It's 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 great. It saves me hours of writing. So with a, with a game like Majestic Knights, where number one, the title is fantastic because I mean, you're yeah. anybody who knows anything about any kind of conspiracy immediately goes to like the Majestic Twelve and that exactly. whole movement. Um, yeah, so exactly. when, when it boasts more truth than any other game, <laughs> how wide a net did you cast? <laughs> Um, that's 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 a, uh, a phrase uh, Morgan has been uh, putting out there. Our, our, our CEO Morgan uh, um, quite quite a lot. He's um, this is this is really 
right up his alley. He he definitely loves um, conspiracy theory uh, mythos, I guess. Um, and it's exactly what it is. So I, I, that counts completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it is um, it is right up there with like the Cthulhu mythos. It absolutely it is it is its own level of of story yeah. and intrigue. Indeed, and and you you know where you get like um, elements of it that that turn out to be true, like like um, M MK Ultra, uh, which we explore fairly heavily throughout um, uh, the game so far. Um, that that only serves to kind of. In, intensify people's appetite for, for, for the mystery because they can point to that and go, well, that one was true. Mm -hmm. You know, how about, you know, the aliens on the ninth planet? That's got to be true as well because this was true and this other one over here was true. So the other 97.3% must also be true as a result. That's it. You, you only need <laughs> two dots to start playing Connect the Dots. It's not. <laughs> After that, it's all imagination. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so uh, uh, Morgan's been pu uh, pushing out the more truth than in, um, any other game line a lot. He, he he came up with it, and and he loves saying that in um, in and around the office and and anywhere he possibly can actually. <laughs> so I I played about forty five minutes of it. Um, just for the people that haven't yet, um, what what kind of a game is Majestic Knights? What are what are we dealing with? Okay, so uh, Majestic Knights is uh, action adventure. Uh, I guess thriller game is 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 what we've been going for, set in the eighties, um, and is about uh, conspiracy theories. Um, as as we've said on you know uh, our website, etc. It's kind of Miami Vice meets X Files. So um, we've, we're uh, we're trying to go for an over the top eighties eighties aesthetic, um, having to crack the whip on the artist to get that as over the top as we can, um, with you know aliens and secret government organizations and secret societies and everything we can kind of find or read or you know even here and there make up ourselves to uh, have a world where we consider every conspiracy theory to be true and I, I, and I guess that that would be Majestic Knights in a, in a phrase How far into conspiracy theories does it go? Is it mostly kind of centered around Government, or do you go into the more, I guess, fantastical things, we get, like well, supernatural so sort of? We're, uh, like well, I've, uh, Morgan wanted to go all the way up to eleven from from the get go, so I've had sure. to rein that in a bit so that we've got some actual room to move mm -hmm. uh, if we if we go into further seasons. Um, so we start out with things that are a bit more accessible, or or t or ha had to turned out to be. Factual, like like MK Ultra. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of Chapter Zero, we refer to the uh, hoax moon landing. Um, so we start out with some fairly uh, well-known touchstones in terms of in terms of that mythos, and certainly scale it up from there. You know, we've got you know there will you know there will be things that are, are certainly fa are fantastical, and we're trying to. To kind of um, fold them into, you know, a narrative that still kind of tries to remain as grounded as 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 is possible with, you know, as as it can be with source material like this. Do you we know, ever so, get like David Ike weird? Like, are are we talking lizard men, or do we not go that far? Um, it's uh, in later seasons. Uh, we're certainly looking at heading that direction. Okay. Morgan wants to go there right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> when you pull out the lizard man, where do you go from there? Yeah, exactly. No, no. That, yeah, you can't just you can't blow <laughs> I'm it all say at once. That point. So, um, I'll just say that that uh, you know the like the reference to the hoax moon landing at the end of chapter zero is brought full circle by the end of the season, um, and there's a reason for that for that hoax moon landing that it becomes fit that could be seen as being fairly fantastical. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what what's kind of the inspiration to to put it in the the 80s besides uh kind of the Miami Vice flair that you're going well, for is that something that's very central to the way that the um the conspiracies are kind of unveiled or is it just a fun setting to to play it? It's just really it's 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 just a fun setting for us. I mean, you know, as as, as far as I'm concerned, uh the 80s was um Probably, probably the best decade of the last several for uh, for movies. The uh, the movies from the eighties were just, you know, in, like it had it had a, a, a huge number of of movies that are, are just classics that that everyone knows and loves now. Uh, sure. They were afraid with um, to be kind of camp and and did that well. Um, where where movies in the nineties kind of started taking themselves way too seriously. Uh, if you look at the Matrix again now. It's, it, I, I, I kind of cringe. I mean, not not even including the second two because they don't really count as movies. But even the first one, it takes yeah. itself so seriously. But with the '80s, they were able to be kind of camp um, in and not take themselves so seriously, but still be awesome. Like you know, you look at Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, they live all that. They live, yeah. You know, like like fairly camp movies, but also like. Just fun and 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 really great stories. You know, I mean, uh, Big Trouble in Little China is is actually really quite clever in that uh, Kurt Russell's uh, uh, character is put there as as being you know the hero protagonist and 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 talks as such and has as a big kind of John Wayne drawl, but isn't he's he's actually the sidekick. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Asian dude who I forget his name, his his, his character name, um, is is the real hero of the story, but. You know, it, uh, uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell puts in a, in, a, in an awesome performance uh, as as the sidekick who doesn't know he's the sidekick. You know, it's a really uh, clever writing. And then, you know, the movie itself uh, kicks in, in an infinite amount of ass. So there's yes, there's <laughs> like so many amazing kind of cultural t- uh, touchstones in in the '80s to kind of draw upon. You know, really over the top fashion. You look at film clips like. Um, Oh, what was the name of the song? It's by Sigway Sigway Sputnik. Um, uh, Love Missile F one eleven, I think it is. Like the fashion in that film clip is ridiculous, you know, um, and that that just makes for a, 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 you know automatically a, a great aesthetic. So and when you think uh, about it, I mean, if aliens are going to come down here in the eighties, who's really going to notice? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, there was, you know, there's just a rich kind of like like, like a wealth of material to uh, to draw upon aesthetically from the '80s. So um, we just feel that the 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 fairly you know, well well the often ridiculous nature of conspiracy theory narrative um, is really suited to that that over the top aesthetic of the '80s. Sure. Yeah. So um, the I, I just lost my question. All right, I got one. <laughs> Good, because so, my brain just stopped. <laughs> I'll jump right in. 
I'm dealing with the main character, and especially with a lot of the conversations he gets into with like uh, the neighbor on the toilet or even uh, the, the dude in his own house. Um, that the there there's a lot of different kind of branching paths, and I noticed by going through and you know kind of doing it a couple times that they they do lead to different places and kind of almost unlocking different things. Um, is there is there a way to kind of not you know to go through it and like not get everything or does or rather yeah. does like does that conversation kind of shape what's going to happen rather than it just being kind of part of it? It, um, you can um, certainly get through without uh, without getting everything. Um, those those things off to the side are there to be to be accessed if if you want to go and find extra stuff. Um, uh, you know, so we you know we kind of have you know like a rail for our narrative, but leave things off off to the side for people to could, uh, uh, kind of go and find and and discover for themselves and investigate for themselves. Because I, I mean I guess that's 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 sort of the nature of having an interest in, in conspiracy theories, going and looking for things yourself that are certainly off, off the beaten track. So um, with, that, with that chapter zero, we've, we've kind of put things off to the side a bit so that um, you, if, if you don't go and look for it, you, you won't find it. Uh, there are some items, uh, some evidence pieces in, in the very last level that if you don't speak to a certain person um, and I guess, and win what, I, what is, I guess, the conversation minigame with them to get the, um, the, the, the piece of evidence that they give you, you are unable to find these uh, are particularly uh, telling pieces of, of uh, conspiracy theory uh, 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 information or evidence. So you've, you can race through the game and you know, kill all the baddies and uh, get, you know, get a few pieces of info here and there. If you want to learn about more of the things we put in there, you, you, you know, you've, you've got to go and take it upon yourself to go off to, off to the side and run off the beaten path a bit. Is the, the uh, evidence, is that only narrative stuff or is it, or does that play a bigger role? Is that just kind of story to the side to kind of add to the experience? So it's story to the side and, and it also, it's also kind of, uh, we're, we're, we're adding in a um, crazy wall of string um, uh, <laughs> elements again. <laughs> so if you if you think of the movie um, A Beautiful Mind, uh, Russell Crowe movie, mm-hmm. where he's this brilliant mathematician who gets caught up in conspiracy theories, and is actually insane. And there's a there's a reveal scene where he takes his wife into you know his study where he's been working, and the entire room is covered in in string and photos and and stuff. And it's a big it's it's, it's a big reveal that shows how batshit insane this guy has become. So we put that into the game as well, so that as you find pieces of evidence, uh, they'll be attached to your crazy wall of string and will uh, reveal a larger overall narrative over the course of, of the season um, and, and make, it, make it much more clear that if you, if you don't go and look for them and don't fill up your card wall, it'll be much harder to kind of understand what we're getting at. And in contrast to A Beautiful Mind with, the, with his own crazy wall of string, <clears throat> um, yours is actually true. Yes, absolutely true. <laughs> He's and, not and, crazy. And, and, and they are sane. after him. And completely sane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you get a real wall of string, or is it just metaphorical that you're kind of piecing these things together, or is there a place that you can go in the game 
and actually see so how everything is connected. Yeah, there will be a, a like the like the card wall, as we'll call it, um, so that you can go and look at that, and that will show you the bits of bits of evidence that you've collected uh, so far. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to click, click on them and look at the piece, and it'll have have some uh, have some extra words next to it that you'll be able to look at and see what that that, uh, that piece of evidence will be about. We we, we actually try to include as many um, actual uh, pieces that, that we found um, here and there in, into that as possible. So we're <clears throat> we're trying not to make up stuff um, as as much as possible um, ourselves in terms of that. So yeah, you'll you'll ha- um, have a card wall and then. Uh, that there'll be access through the main menu, but while you're in game, you can actually look at the things that uh, that, uh, that you've uh, you've uh, collected in in that given playthrough and see uh, uh, see what they um, what the stories behind those. And you know, I, I guess also in that sense, kind of piece it together in your own head. So a bit of both. That's awesome because I, I feel like that's one of those things that more often than not would just be well you can kind of picture it in your head but when you start going yeah. into conspiracies it's like that that just seems kind of like a natural thing it's like I want a giant wall filled with uh, yeah. newspaper clippings photos and I want string connecting everything and to have that actually in the yeah. game that, well, we that have, has me excited have <laughs> do you yeah, guys have your have own wall? Actual... yeah we have one in the boardroom it's actually behind <laughs> me right now um, uh, that we put together the other night, uh, uh, actually um, a couple of weeks ago. It's all post-it notes and photos and news, newspaper clippings and things like that, all all t- tied together with with bits of string. Fantastic! <laughs> Fantastic! That is that's great. I love it. Uh, and that seems like it's just perfectly fitting for um <laughs> for a game about conspiracies. Yeah, exactly. Um. So you, you've mentioned kind of the, the seasons and multiple seasons. This is Chapter Zero. Um, Majestic Nights is a, an episodic game. We're getting, what, six yeah. episodes uh, in this yeah. first season? Uh, how has yeah. that kind of changed your uh, approach to making the game as opposed to making one game that you know releases at, at one time? Um, you know, the, uh, the reasons for that were um, initially, uh, I guess, pragmatic um, it just just in a just uh, in a pure kind of business sense, um, making games is hard and expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of breaks up that that kind of financial risk for us a bit, but also allows us you know in 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 a, in a more artistic sense, allows us to kind of not bombard the player with one giant massive pile of stuff. People can you know play chapter one, get a few bits of evidence. See how they like it, then then jump in um, into chapter two and slowly kind of, I guess, drip feed themselves with uh, the mass of writing and evidence that 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 uh, will accumulate over the course of 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 the first season, which in itself, you know, as as a season will end up being, you know, about as many hours of gameplay as, as you would get in a in a you know in a one off kind of game that you'd buy for whatever, like I don't know if if, if it was triple A, like a sixty dollar game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, about the same hours of gameplay, but broken up a bit, so that it's not quite as, I, I guess, overwhelming. Um, so it it means that uh, in breaking up the development, I guess, um, we're able to focus on kind of chunks of our of our story, focus on elements of of gameplay themselves, and uh, um, allow them to evolve over over the course of development. Um, so the story itself will um, evolve um, and. We'll be kind of looking at 
how our players will be playing the game and, and um, uh, looking at, 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 at stats and, and adjusting um, our, our narrative to, uh, to suit that as we go. So it, it, it kind of gives us the um, ability to be a bit reactive mm-hmm. um, and, you know, change, change the narrative around and change the gameplay around as, as we go according to, you know, the way we see players play and, you know, what we're told by both our players and, and uh, journos like yourselves. Um, yeah, so it, you know, while while it began, I guess as a as a sort of business decision, it, it, it's it's really kind of um, also evolved into being um, a very helpful development, uh, I guess I guess system uh, for us for this this kind of game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess while episodic games uh, are kind of so hot right now because of Telltale. Um, that doesn't stop it from being, you know, um, a really great way to kind of develop a, a, a heavily story-based game. Um, I think, I think, when, you know, when you've got a game that's uh, focusing very heavily on on story, episodic seems to just be a, a fairly natural kind of way to develop that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I think by and large, uh, video games have more in common with like TV than they do movies or or necessarily books. Uh, and just kind of yep. the, the length and the the experience that you get with them, um, that it, it you know it does just kind of make sense. Do you guys kind of have everything sort of plotted out now, or are you kind of writing it? Absolutely. As you go? So okay. we've we've written all the all the narrative for uh, for chapter one. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, first uh, uh, for season one. That's that's all that's all written at Got least it. in short story form. Um, chapters. Five and six, I think, have yet to be rendered into game script, but the, but the narrative's all written and plotted out. Um, so we know what we're doing and where we're going. It's all written, but that doesn't mean we can't change things based upon what we've kind of been told. And actually, based on the feedback I was getting through through testing for Chapter Zero, um, I changed things around and added little bits here and there um, based upon what, what uh, my, my testing uh, uh, feedback came back with. So I'm looking forward to to kind of expanding on that a bit more. We've we, we've got a, a very flexible kind of development pipeline for that. So um, as I as I get kind of reports from from reviews or or from players themselves, um, and we keep a keen eye on that, um, uh, I will be kind of molding the narrative to kind of suit the the desires. Where you know where it's, you know someone comes up with a really good idea or suggestion. I will absolutely be um, including that into our story. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, I, I really only have one more question. Um, I don't know about Brian, but I'm going to go ahead and ask mine. Nazi, well, it's not even a, a question, but Nazi aliens. <laughs> I, I've, well, I've heard about Nazis that retreated to the moon and then attacked. Yeah, but I yeah. have not seen Nazi aliens. Can can we delve into that just a little bit? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Redacted. you know that, that kind of Redacted. that kind of came about. It, you know, um, there's what what was that movie that was fairly recent? Oh, the title just left me. But um, there was a lot of Nazi research into. Um, alternate kind of uh, propulsion systems, including uh, flying saucers. They had something called it was, it was called uh, it was a propulsion system that they called I think the Bell. Bell Morgan would know. Oh, it's left my head. But they 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 were really kind of um, 
ex experimenting with a lot of different things, uh, you know, in, 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 in the late period, you know, you know from like 43 to 45. Um, and, you know, as we know, all, like all of uh, those, uh, those scientists were brought back to the States post-war um, and we have an, an incredible amount of technology to, uh, today as, as, as a direct result of that. Um, Project so was it, a paperclip. Yeah, yeah, paperclip. Okay, I, I was thinking of Project Orion, which I think that was actually ours. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the U.S. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, like, they, they had some pretty crazy tech, and uh, it's not much of a leap. Well, they were beginning some pretty crazy tech. Uh, that then resulted in in, in a lot of the the, uh, the amazing tech we have today, and it's a, you know it's not much of a kind of cognitive leap to kind of go from there to you know they've been to the moon or they had contact with aliens. There there's there's conspiracy theories out there that are in Russia about tall whites that helped the uh, the Nazis and are now helping uh, uh, the U.S. government. Um, so there's there's a, a, like a bunch of material around uh, um, on on the internet, of course. Um, centered around that, that kind of um, uh, like a like a Nazi and an alien uh, uh, kind of cooperation, and that came up as a as a bit of a touchstone in that movie. I, I just saw it the other week, just out of the blue. It was on TV. Uh, Contact, you know, um, Jodie Foster. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, like the, the first thing that the uh, you know the, the, like the first broadcast that was large enough to get out into space. Uh, from us was um, Hitler's address to the 1939 Olympics that was the very first broadcast that was big enough to get out into space so that will be the first thing that, that whatever aliens that are in are in other um, other galaxies will see it'll be it'll be Hitler you know oddly enough yeah um, he was a good speaker <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean the dude could give a lecture that's that's for sure <laughs> so that's that's what I see so that, that kind of Nazi alien link I mean they're, they're both they're both, um, you know, I mean, I mean, the Nazis were the the ideal bad guy. I mean, that's that that's a, a a well that Spielberg has gone to with amazing results a few times. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, aliens themselves are, you know, it, that's 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 something that intrigues literally every person on this planet. So having them <laughs> for a story is um, is is a pretty simple bow to draw. And they didn't do themselves any favor either with you know their the Thule Society and all the the other yeah. like mystic and crazy stuff they did on and top of aliens. Into, yeah, they were way into the occult. Like they they really were like heavily into the occult. So you know they they lend themselves. I mean, yeah, they they lend themselves to being used as as this uh, you know as this narrative device. They, 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 like they really do. It's it's like they sat down and went you know and kind of drew up a plan. How how. What are we going to do so that everyone uses us as as the bad guys or the zany guys in stories for the rest of civilization? And hey, Adolf, <laughs> we're going to be shitbags. What can we do to be crazy shitbags? That should be saying shitbags. Yeah, exactly. Uh. <laughs> but yeah. All right, I'm good with that. I uh, I actually really, I like the idea of potentially having aliens that the first thing they hear is Hitler and they go, we like this guy. Let's go to Earth to meet him. And yeah, so exactly. they, they get to Earth prepared to join the Nazi party. And <laughs> um, it's the 1980s. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm down with that. <laughs> Those poor aliens. That's the worst. That's <laughs> like... <laughs>
<laughs> well, I actually have um, as the opening prologue for uh, for my um, short story for chapter one, just a just a, a little scene of 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 the main of the main character for chapter zero, uh, uh, cardholder, uh, in a fist fight and beating the shit out of a grey alien, but he's really bored with it because he's he's done it before. So it's not it's not a challenge for him. He's kind of almost absent-mindedly beating the shit out of a grey alien. <laughs> I don't even put up a fight anymore. <laughs> Where are the sectoids, damn it? <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, Brian, do you have anything else before we go into the end game? No, I'm good. We can definitely go right into the end game. All right. Okay, so we like to end our, our interviews with a little bit of a uh, questionnaire. Um, okay. We call it the end game, um, and it, it's more uh, personal, um, you know. So feel free to, you know, answer the third, first thing that comes to mind, or, or think about it. It's up to you. Um, it only gets harder as you go along, and it, this, it, it, uh, yeah, no, I think we should just start. Okay. All right. So question number one: um, Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Oh, come on. Um. Uh, it's 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 got to be uh, uh, the vault dweller in Fallout. Hmm. The first Fallout. one or second one? Uh, uh, Fallout Two. Fallout okay. Two. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Flipping the coin. Um, who's your favorite antagonist? Oh, you guys really ask the hard ones. Yep. <laughs> Jesus. Um. You know what? My favorite um, antagonist was a guy, a person, honestly, uh, that I used to fight against every single day in Ultima Online called Slayer. And I hated that guy, like personally hated that guy. Um, and as such, he was a really great antagonist. Hmm. Uh, he, was, he was better than me. He beat the shit out of me a lot, but it made the game so much fun to play. It's kind of a weird answer, I guess, but that's the first thing that came to mind. That absolutely works, and I was really worried for a second that instead of Slayer, you were going to say Booger, and I was going to have to go, oh my god, that was my brother. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad he didn't say that. Slayer, he will absolutely go on this list as favorite antagonist. Uh, question number three. Um, what's your least favorite um, trope or theme in video games today? Uh, the I guess the uh, it would be the paradigm where uh, female equals healer uh, that you see in MMOs in particular and, and, in, and in most games where there's a healer class it's almost always female I'm guilty of it myself, I did it by just completely without thinking and um, yeah, that, that would be the thing it's just, it's just kind of lazy uh, yeah, the, the healer's always female um, is, is something that it's not huge, but I always it just it, it bugs me, especially because I did I like I did it myself. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that's that, super that would, would interesting, you... and I've never thought about that before. And now I'm thinking back through like even all the JRPGs I played as a kid, and holy crap! Yeah, yeah, right. Either that or a uh, like a rogue. Yeah, like a sexy rogue. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, with yeah, that's always no armor at all. Somehow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's tactical. <laughs> Question number four, and we ask this of everybody: um, Have you ever seen a yaoi? 
Have I ever seen a Yowie? I have not. No, I'm afraid. Uh, we don't. We don't. I don't think. I don't think we have any Yowies here in Australia. No. 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 I haven't. I've seen plenty of drop bears, but no Yowies. Shit, drop bears. All right, we're, <laughs> we're hijacking this. When was the last time you saw a drop bear? Actually, it was just just about three days ago. I was just I was on, on, on way to work. Um, so who were uh, some people who were clearly t- tourists because that's that's the drop bear's favorite food. Absolutely. Just. Not even in a um, in a eucalyptus tree, which which they normally hang in, just it was uh, was just there. It was inexplicable, but it, it's fairly common in Australia to see drop bears. Drop bears, man! <laughs> you don't have anything like that with Florida. We just got rednecks in Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. That's true. Um, <laughs> you're you are are living many dreams. Um, you you're making games. Um, you're both creating and writing about the truth. Um, if uppercase you do, the truth, the up, truth. Yeah, exactly, yeah. uppercase truth. Um, yeah. If, it's all caps. All caps. <laughs> <laughs> truth! Surrounded by black tape. <laughs> uh, if you could do anything else, um, is there anything else you'd like to try? Um, yeah, actually, I, 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 I kind of would like to move into screenwriting um, once... Once I kind of feel that I've, I'm, I'm, I'm done with games, is, is probably the direction I'd, I'd like to try next. Uh, is writing films. That, that would probably be it. Nice. Okay. All right. So next question is going to be a little take on fantastical. Um, you've already shown a penchant for Kurt Russell movies, so I don't <laughs> think it's going to be a stretch to ask you if you've seen Escape from L.A. Hell yeah, I have. Uh, excellent. <laughs> At the end of Escape from L.A., Snake Plissken comes into control of the government satellites that will shut down the world with EMP blasts. Yep. You get notified uh, by, through some means that that's going to happen tomorrow. What game do you play tonight? Ooh, what game do I play tonight? It would probably... Uh, oh, it's tough. You know what? I'd probably... F- uh, get really hammered and f- fire up uh, Planescape again. That's what I would do. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. One last answer. That's a great answer. Uh, last question. <clears throat> At the end of our lives, um, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad is there with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you? I would like him to say, "You finished Shinobi on my life." No one else has ever done that, um, and that would oh yeah, and I, I'd be pretty happy with that because <laughs> I, I honestly think no one else managed to do that in arcade because I haven't seen anyone else do it. <laughs> that is that a great be... answer. <laughs> that, and that is it. That is it. You've reached the end. Thank you very much uh, for no, being no, no, no. Uh, both honest and candid, yeah. and uh, and giving everybody a good warning about drop bears. <laughs> well, you know, when uh, when you come to Australia, we have about about seventy two percent of the world's most dangerous wild, wildlife here, so you have to be careful. And that is not a lie, folks. <laughs> like, say what you will about drop bears, but there there are there are bugs and snakes there that will kill you to look at you. Yeah, you yeah. might even call what he just said the truth. <laughs> Boom. That's straight true. Uh, <laughs> well, wildlife on land, the seas, <laughs> dangerous it's everywhere. It's Every, how do you live there? It's that epic beard. Uh, That's what it is. You, you know what? I've I've been I've been chased by snakes multiple times. 
Um, I've had a kangaroo kick me, and that that was that was actually probably the most scary because that that can cut you open. He missed, huh. uh, like he missed my my belly, hit me in the leg, and gashed my leg. Wow, uh, I I didn't know kangaroos could do that. That's yeah, they've got a giant big toe with a huge nail on it, and their their legs are strong enough to propel them a good well eastern grey probably a good five or six meters. So their their legs are quite strong. They get back up on their tail and boot. And yes, it, it's a nasty, nasty kick. Um, there's look, there's there's a lot of dangerous wildlife. It gets talked up a bit, um, but because most things kind of stay out of your way. But there are some, you know, uh, some very dangerous <laughs> snakes and spiders in, in particular in in Australia. <laughs> well, um, good luck surviving the uh, the wildlife as you guys finish up Majestic Nights. <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the wildlife won't quell you from telling the truth. If you could send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about Majestic Nights. Uh, MajesticNights.com, of course. Uh, we're also on Steam, so look for us on Steam. Uh, we will be on the uh, App Store uh, for iOS very soon uh, with Chapter Zero. So if you look at but if you look at MajesticNights.com. And Steam, you'll see us there, and also our Facebook uh, for either Epiphany Games. Uh, actually, just check out the Epiphany Games uh, uh, Facebook for, for any extra info. Awesome. Well, thank okay. you so much, Samuel, uh, for, for joining us and talking about Majestic Nights. I really do hope you guys have a great couple of next week. You get some sleep and uh, finish the game strong. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's been a pleasure.